I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Thank you for downloading Podcast Master. My name is Ben Green. I'm a podaholic. I'm an audio nerd. And I've been making radio programs and podcasts for close to 15 years. This is the abridged version of my ebook about starting up a podcast and making your current one better. It's also called Podcast Master. The ebook's published by Canelo Books and it's available for Kindle and Kobo, Android and iPad, and you can download it from Amazon and everywhere else you'd expect to find digital books. The text version has even more information in it, as well as footnotes and links, so I highly, highly recommend you check it out in addition to these podcasts, and it'll only cost you a couple of quid. So, episode one was all about the first decade of podcasting and how we got to this post-serial, post-Obama on WTF second wave. This episode is about more practical matters, what you need to get started as a podcaster and what you can do to get better. Even if you know your XLRs from your phonos, your bit rates from your sample rates and your cardioid mites from your parabolics, there'll be something in here for you. Before we get started though, I want to make a few things explicitly clear. The bar has been raised so high with podcasts like Serial, WTF and the rest that an audience will not tolerate poorly recorded or edited audio. They might have done a decade ago, but we've come a long, long way since then. Any old idiot can record audio on their phone, whack it up on the internet, but calling that a podcast does the producers and the content that I refer to throughout this series a huge disservice. Don't get me wrong, it's fine to experiment, have fun, find your feet, but if you genuinely are serious about making a go of it in podcasting, you'll need to invest some blood, sweat and tears, or more accurately, money, time and dedication. If you take shortcuts, your audience will abandon you or never find you in the first place and your podcast will fail. Sorry, but that really is the truth. Still, let's get back to business and we're going to start with microphones. There are millions of models of microphone on the market using every possible alphanumeric combination to make them more alluring. For a good all-rounder that you can use for out-and-about recordings as well as in a studio, you can't go wrong with the Bayer Dynamic M58. It's specifically designed to be a news reporter's microphone with an extra long handle so you can put it in nice and close to your subject's mouth without invading their personal space. It's omnidirectional too, so it'll pick up a bit of background sound, which is good for your location recordings. A new one will set you back around £150 or $200, but you can find used ones for around half that price on eBay. Your microphone is arguably your most important investment and you don't want to be scrimping and saving too much, so here are a few more options. For studio-based work, you could plump for the unidirectional Shure SM7B. Mark Marin has a couple of these in his WTF garage. They're common in professional recording studios too. They're expensive, about £300, $450, but they'll provide a warm and smooth sound for both speech and music. They'll look pretty great too. For fieldwork and documentary making, where textured sound is all important, you could follow the lead of Ira Glass and the This American Life crew, who use Audio-Technica shotgun microphones. 
Shotgun mics are highly directional. You point and shoot them in the direction in which you want to record the sound. You can get yourself an 80897 for around £200 or $250. Or why not have a look for a used 80835B, which is now discontinued and will therefore be considerably cheaper. All microphones will require a standard 3-pin XLR lead to plug them into a recorder or a mixing desk. More on both of these things soon. These cables are inexpensive and come in a range of lengths from 1 meter to 20 meters. You'll need a couple of stands so you can do sit-down interviews and roundtable discussions. Expect to spend between £5 and $8 for something very simple, or around £40, $55, depending on if you get something with telescopic adjustments. Finally, get yourself a couple of pop shields. They're around £10 or $15, and they'll aid the quality of your studio recordings even further. And what about headphones, I hear you ask? Well, the headphone market is now worth more than $1 billion. But don't be lulled into thinking that you need a pair of Dr. Dre's diamond-encrusted super-duper ear speakers. Beats headphones are admittedly impressive, but you're mostly paying for the branding. Whilst in-ear or earbud headphones are fine for listening to music and podcasts for your own pleasure, you definitely want full-sized headphones for monitoring your work as you're recording and then editing later on. They should be comfortable and cover your whole ear so that no sound leaks out. Stick to brands like Sony, Sennheiser and Bayer Dynamic. Aim to spend around £20, $35 and you won't go wrong. Also, get used to referring to headphones as cans. It'll make you sound that much more professional. Recorders and mixing desks. Unless you have a top-of-the-range Mac or PC, your computer's inbuilt sound card is going to struggle with high-quality audio recordings. Alongside your microphone, then, your most important purchase is a digital recorder. There are two models that I'm going to recommend here, based on my own experience. I review a couple of others in the ebook, so if you want to investigate further, you'll have to buy that. It's called Podcast Master, and I'm sorry for the additional plugs, but I've got two kids and they need school shoes. First up, then, it's the Zoom H2n. It's a very nifty little all-in-one recorder, desk mic and mic stand. It's got two built-in stereo microphones, meaning you can record a face-to-face interview in excellent sound quality, or with a few adjustments of the settings, record four channels of audio to get 360 degrees of sound. The H2N takes SD memory cards, and if you're out and about, it will give you up to 20 hours of power from two AA batteries. It's a very good choice for getting started, and it costs around £150 or $230 for the recorder and the accessory pack. Next up is the Marantz PMD661. It's a sturdy piece of kit used by many professionals for field recordings. It's got two built-in microphones and you can plug in another two external mics or other equipment like a mixing desk via the two XLR inputs. It has a clear display and interface. It will do everything you need and more and it's very reliable. It's not cheap, £450, $600, that kind of range, but it's very easy to use and a really wise investment. Having found yourself a suitable recording device, you need to decide whether or not to get a mixing desk. These will enable you to plug in multiple inputs, not just microphones but a laptop or a telephone balancing unit, a sound effects board or a CD-DVD player, that sort of thing. Each device plugs into a separate channel and you control the output level with sliding faders or dials. In other words, with a mixing desk, you'll be manually making sure that all the recording levels are correct, primarily in terms of volume. Mixing desks come in all shapes and sizes, and they can cost thousands and thousands of pounds and dollars, but only music producers like Pharrell or Rick Rubin or radio stations need to spend that much. 
for aspiring or established speech-based producers like your good self, start by looking for models made by Steinberg, Yamaha or Behringer with no fewer than four XLR inputs for your microphones and 12 inputs overall. My preference is for faders rather than dials when it comes to controls, and that tends to be a bit more expensive. Still, the exotically named Behringer Eurorack UB1204 Pro has everything you need for a simple studio setup, and you can find it online for £70 or $100. The most important thing is, especially if you're going to be operating the desk yourself, you need to be comfortable using it, so try before you buy. Studios and other recording spaces. There are studios and there are studios. The Guardian has four purpose-built studios which the BBC wouldn't deem worthy for live broadcast, but they're perfect for what we need. On the other hand, Mark Maron has made a personalised recording space in his garage, while Helen and Ollie from Answer Me There still use the front room of Helen's house. The point is, having invested in your microphones and hardware, you too can convert a small bedroom, office or broom cupboard into something equally serviceable without spending the earth. Microphones pick up both direct sound and reflected sound that's bouncing around. This means you need to record in the middle of the room or at least as far away from walls, windows and other hard surfaces as possible. You can purchase panels of acoustic shaped foam that reduce this sort of reverberation. Alternatively, if you're making a podcast at home by yourself or with your friends, you can improvise with duvets or sleeping bags to soften the sound. If you're interviewing someone in their house or workplace, you need to minimise the variables. Find the room with the softest furnishings. This is generally the living room or the bedroom, but the latter isn't always going to be appropriate. Never be afraid though of asking to draw the curtains or moving to a space where a hardwood floor is covered by a rug and definitely move any wooden chairs out the way. A sense of place is important with radio, so you should interview teachers in schools, journalists in newsrooms or farmers surrounded by cows in a field, but the emphasis should be on their voice, not the background noise. If you're interviewing someone in an office, make sure the air conditioning or fan is turned off. And if you're ever put into a soulless boardroom with massive windows and an even bigger conference table, move. It is, of course, possible to rent professional recording studios. In central London, that should cost you around £125 an hour, but consider that to be money well spent. Your audio, a one-on-one interview, roundtable discussion, even just a short voiceover, will be recorded properly in the space that's purpose-built. Everyone involved will also feel that they are in a professional environment, which might just up their game. Software and audio editing. Acoustica, Audacity, Audition, Cubase, GarageBand, Hindenburg, Logic, Pro Tools, WaveLab, WaveShop. There's a bunch of editing software out there. Some programs are free others you will need to pay for, and they will all be packed with tons of tools and features and whiz-bang effects and presets that you will almost certainly never use. The most basic function of your chosen editing software is tidying up your audio. That might mean simply removing the ums or the stumbles or occasional coughs. It might mean taking off the bit before you start the interview and the chatter after you're done, or it might mean condensing a rambling 45-minute interview into a cogent 10 minutes. It might also mean adjusting your sound levels if one person is louder than the other. Lower levels can always be fixed in post-production, but if you're recording things so loud that they're distorting, then you're in trouble. I've been using Audition for years, so that's what I would recommend, but the full version costs around £200 or $300. If you haven't done any audio editing before, then you can download a trial version, which will give you a 30-day license, and that is a good place to start. 
You will certainly improve through trial and error, but editing is a skill and it takes years to master. A listener should never be able to hear an edit. An edited speech should always sound natural. Sometimes those breaths and ums are useful for rhythm, so don't eliminate all of them. It may be more appropriate for you to therefore outsource the editing and the recording and the overall production of your podcast to an experienced audio producer. More on that soon. Two important things to bear in mind when editing. Always save your original file and keep that as the master. Do your edits on a separate file because you never know when you might need that original again. Sound files. Podcasts come almost exclusively in the MP3 format, which is a type of compressed audio file. When audio files are compressed, they lose quality, and the more compressed they are, the worse they sound. You'll hear sibilance, hiss, and other forms of digital distortion. So a few rules of thumb, bits of best practice, and industry standards. When it comes to recording, make sure you select WAV. This stands for Waveform Audio File Format. It's an uncompressed universal file type, so translates perfectly between all equipment and computers. A 30-minute stereo WAV file translates to about 500 megabytes. This is where compression comes in. Once you've finished editing and mixing your podcast and it's ready to go out to the wider world, you need to convert it to an MP3. You can do this in your editing software, or you can use iTunes. Just make sure that you keep the WAV version as well. When crunching down to the MP3, select 44.1 kHz as your sample rate and choose 128 kilobytes per second as your stereo bitrate. Don't worry too much about why, just know that it's going to serve you well. Your 30 minute MP3 file is now 30 megabytes. That's still pretty big though. Remember, people may well be downloading or streaming your show on their phone and you want to make the file as manageable as possible. Unless you've made a wonderful soundscape or complex audio package, my advice is to go back a stage and choose to mix down to mono, as it will halve the size of your file. Your 30-minute podcast will now be an extremely mobile-friendly 15 megabytes. I do this with Football Weekly, and I've never had a single complaint from listeners. In fact, it's only when the file size creeps towards 50 megs that people start to kick up a stink. Hosts and Platforms If you want your podcast to be heard, it needs to get into the iTunes store. There are several routes there, and the simplest way to do it is via the podcast hosting services provided by SoundCloud, Libsyn or Acast, who will handle all the techie background stuff for you. Essentially, you upload your show to their servers, they'll create the necessary XML and RSS information to get you registered on iTunes, and all your podcasts will then subsequently, and quite magically, be pinged to iTunes and everywhere else you can listen to podcasts. You've probably heard of SoundCloud, so we'll start with them. They were founded by a pair of Swedes in 2007, and they're now based in Germany. SoundCloud is primarily a music social networking site, but anyone who has an account can also sign up for its podcasting service. It's probably the easiest of the three hosts to use, with a nice drag-and-drop upload tool, and it has a clean design and a wonderful mobile app. It has an embeddable player that will work on every blog or website, and also plays within Twitter and Facebook. It costs £75 or $135 a year for a pro unlimited plan, which will let you upload all the podcasts you want and won't limit the number of downloads each episode can have. On the downside, SoundCloud is designed for music, so podcasts can get lost within the mix on its own site, and if you enable user comments, your show can look, well, a bit teenager-ish. Next up is Libsyn. This American company proudly claims on its website to have pioneered the system to host and publish podcasts back in 2004. It hosts more than 25,000 podcasts, including Mark Maron's WTF, The Adam Carolla Show, Answer Me This, 
and all the Radiotopia shows like 99% Invisible and Love Plus Radio. It's got excellent analytics, a very reliable back-end should you ever need any technical support, and they also provide a service to develop mobile apps specific to your show. They offer price plans from $5 to $75 a month, which you can change as your audience grows. Last but not least is the new kid on the block, Acast. Acast was set up in Sweden in 2014 by a former Angry Bird and one of the founders of Spotify. They aim to be a one-stop shop for podcasters, and they'll host, distribute and monetize your show. Acast is utterly dedicated to speech-based audio, so it's much more grown-up looking than SoundCloud. The player is just as shareable and embeddable, and the app is good and getting better. It's very easy to upload your show, and you can also add in links, text and video, which is a nice touch and allows you to make your podcast a rich multimedia experience. Acast has offices in Stockholm, London and New York, and they are growing all the time. And their next step may be producing their own content, much like Netflix. Whether you upload your show to SoundCloud, Acast or Libsyn, you can be sure that your show will magically appear on iTunes and everywhere else you choose to listen to podcasts, including mobile apps, without you having to do any extra work or even understand how or why it got there. Presentation. One of the best things you can do if you're going to be fronting your own show is listen to the radio and other podcasts and identify what it is about your favourite presenters and try and absorb some of their best traits. A good presenter will get the most out of his or her guests, ask the questions that the audience wants to hear, link between segments, be quick-witted enough to react to the unexpected and never appear flustered, have the range to deal appropriately with different subjects, emotions and tones, and guide the show from start to finish. They'll be excellent on the microphone, be able to write and deliver a script and also have the ability to ad-lib when necessary. All broadcasting is you turned up a notch or three and the presenter's role requires that even more. So if you're inexperienced at doing anything on air or have a tendency to feel self-conscious by displays of energy or exuberance, it might be better for you to step aside and get in someone who's more confident or a professional. A crucial part to your podcast presentation is your introduction. Intros should be powerful, punchy, well thought out and give an indication of the tone of the show. They should tease what's coming up next without revealing too much. And if you're going to script any part of the programme, this is it. Be playful with your language, be humorous if it's appropriate, express your personality, your opinion and never ever be bland. The fundamental thing with an intro is to hook your audience in. If you haven't done that within a minute, you've lost them and they probably won't give you a second chance. Microphone technique. Audio is an intimate medium, and this intimacy often emanates from the proximity of a microphone to its subject. The key to any good recording, therefore, is getting your microphone up close to where the sound is coming from, whether it's the tweeting of a bird, a ticking clock, the tapping of a keyboard, or, of course, a human voice. If you're using a handheld mic, it should be positioned just below the speaker's mouth. This is fine if you're the one talking, but it may feel like you're invading an interviewee's personal space, so explain to them beforehand that you need to get the mic in that close. Believe me, they'll soon forget it's there. The same applies in the studio. Make sure everyone who's talking stays on mic. This means that they're sitting nice and close to the microphone and not leaning back in their chair. Before you begin any recording, whether it's in a studio or out on location, make sure you check your sound levels. All voices should be recorded at around minus 12 decibels which you'll be able to see on the light meter on your mixing desk or your digital recorder. Green, yellow and orange levels are good. If you're hitting the red lights, you'll need to adjust your levels. 
ladies and gentlemen too should remove any jewellery that rattles. Wild gesticulations are fine, although of course no one will be able to see them, but just be careful not to hit the microphones. Mobile phones and tablets should be switched off or put into flight mode to avoid any digital interference. One final tip for handheld mic work. Be as still and steady as you possibly can. When you move and handle the mic, you always risk creating mic rattle that you might not notice until you listen back to your track later and it might just ruin what you've recorded. Interview technique. It sounds so obvious, but the key to a good interview is listening to your guest and engaging with them. Don't stick rigidly to your pre-prepared questions. React to what your guest is saying and go with them. Interviews should flow and undulate and go on tangents. You certainly have the time and the space in podcast interviews to do that, and it's what makes podcasting such an exciting medium. Be sure to ask open-ended questions so you don't go into conversational cul-de-sacs. And do your research, but also prepare to be surprised. Again, listen around to other podcasts or radio interviews or watch some of the TV greats in action. You might not be the next Mark Maron or Howard Stern, John Humphreys or Katie Couric, but you can draw inspiration from their work. Similarly, try to study some bad interviews and learn from why they went awry. Whether your interview is face-to-face, over the phone or on Skype, whether you're sitting down in a studio or conducting a quick stand-up interview out on location, here are a few more pointers. Get your guests to introduce themselves at the start of an interview. This will help you with the pronunciation of their name and also it can help to loosen things up if they're nervous. Let them know what your first question's going to be so things get off to an unflummoxed start. Don't talk over your guest. Instead of saying yeah or "Mm mm-hmm, nod your head. It conveys just as much engagement, but it's noiseless and therefore easier to edit. And finally, and you may be tempted to do this for a telephone interview, never ever eat or have a mouthful of food while you're doing an interview. It's rude and a surefire way of making your audience switch off and almost certainly never tune in again. Don't believe me? Listen to this. Phenomenal what he did and then... Of course, Baron Rasky was there. and, and The Baron was there? Yeah, the Baron was there. Oh, my there. God, how is he? <laughs> he looks great. And uh, Larry Henning was there. So it was really a, a, a nice get-together. And I was just blown away by uh, the, the museum. No, I feel bad. I didn't go to accept my award. I, I just couldn't get off to go. Yeah. But you definitely have to get, get, get there to... Uh, it's like a lot of things. You, you can't really adequately uh, describe it. You've got to go and, and see for yourself. I met a guy named Bill Murdoch, and he's, he's doing a drive. No, Bill, Bill's from North Carolina. I know Bill hunger. very well. Yeah, headlock on hunger. Yeah. And uh, this is something that, uh, you know, when you look at our own country and the percentage of, of young kids who go hungry every night, that's, that's what this drive is about, is putting a headlock on hunger to feed meals to kids who uh, have no other place to, to turn for food. So, again, But while food is right definitely right. a no-no, it is essential to have water in whatever recording environment in which you find yourself. And it's never a bad thing for you and your guests to have a good glug before you get going. Casting and voices. Before you record anything it's vitally important to consider both the vocal mix and the different character types involved in your podcast. There are no hard and fast rules here, but when it comes to the range of voices your listeners will be hearing, aim to have a mix between youthful and mature, male and female, and, if at all possible, a diverse range of accents. Although, as we all know, some accents are better than others. 
If you're making a panel-based program, you want to foster some sort of debate, so cast your show in the knowledge that you'll get a broad range of opinions. When it comes to the issue of lisps and stutters, nasally voices, that kind of thing, or particularly strong accents or English not being someone's first language, bear in mind that none of the above make for a great listen. And whereas subtitles, gesticulation and body language can aid a TV audience's comprehension of hard-to-understand voices, in audio all there is is sound. So no matter how nice or wise or witty the person behind the voice is, it may be best to pass them over for the sake of your programme and, more importantly, your listeners. Hey, this is Showbiz. Sometimes you've got to be brutal. Producers Never underestimate the work of a producer. I'm biased, of course, but to get the best from your podcast, you should always hire a producer. A good producer can help you script, research and structure a show before you start recording. They can source music for your theme tune or even compose one for you. They'll direct the show while you're in the studio, bringing in different guests, acting as a voice in your headphones with a good question to help move a discussion forward. They'll make sure all the equipment is working properly and that all your levels are correct. They'll sort out the logistics and travel arrangements for your guests and even make sure there's water in the studio. They'll have good contacts from previous work and of course they will edit the raw recording into an actual show and then upload it for you. Basically they can take care of everything by the talking and actually many producers have good voices so consider them a useful resource for conducting interviews too. I'm going on the London market here, but you should be looking to pay a freelancer between £150 and £300 a day, depending on their skill, experience and level of involvement with your show. Consider it like getting in someone to do the tiling and grouting of your bathroom or putting up a shelf. Sure, you could do it yourself, but it will be done quicker and significantly slicker by someone who does it for a living. And it will also free up your time too. So that's all the techie stuff out of the way. In the next episode of Podcast Master, I'm going to tell you how to grow your audience, how to use your audience, and how to make money from your podcast. Very exciting stuff. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please take a moment to rate, review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. And don't forget, too, that this is an abridged version of my ebook, which is available everywhere you can download digital books, and it's not very expensive either. I'm Ben Green. You can follow me at GreenBenGreen on Twitter. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 